You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As Joanne mentioned, throughout the season of Advent, we're going to be spending time with different witnesses to the Christmas miracle, the miracle of Jesus' birth. And specifically, we're going to be spending time with some of these characters in that story who are perhaps ones that we often overlook. And so we're beginning today with Zechariah. We've heard the first part of his story, and now we turn to the second part. So let us continue listening now for a word from God, picking up in the 57th verse. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced for her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said no. He is to be called John. They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. And then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give the baby. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue freed. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, draw us ever nearer in this time and in this space to the edge of that cradle yet again. Give our eyes and our hearts the sight to see, O God, what lays within. Indeed, God, we pray that through the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here, you might make us witnesses to the miracle of your love made flesh and blood. We pray these things, O God, for we know that with you they are possible, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a study done a number of years ago which showed that awe, that emotion of feeling beauty or wonder at the world around us, that experiencing awe can literally change a person. In this study, nearly 1,500 people from across the United States were surveyed to assess how much awe, among many other emotions, they experienced on a regular basis. In a seemingly unrelated part of the same study, researchers gave each participant 10 lottery tickets that would be entered under his or her name for a cash prize drawing. 
Now, the researchers told each person that these tickets were his or hers to keep, but that if they wanted to, they could share a portion of them with another unidentified individual in the same study who had not received any tickets. What they found in this study was that participants who reported experiencing more awe in their lives were quantifiably more generous to the strangers, shared something like 40% more lottery tickets with those other people whose faces and names they did not know. Around the same time, I actually learned that there was a whole other study done on the same topic where they took participants and divided them into two groups, and one of them they sent into this grove of beautiful eucalyptus trees, some of them like 200 feet tall, and they told that group to spend one minute just looking up at the canopy above them. And then they took another group of people and they told them to spend the same minute looking at sort of a bland facade of like a science building on a college campus. And then with both groups, they had this stranger accidentally come along and spill a bucket of pins. And they found that the people who spent the minute looking up at the beautiful canopy above them picked up more pins on average than those people who stared at that bland facade. Right, those who experience more awe in their lives are more likely to shed some of that self-centeredness that might otherwise mark their days. People who experience more awe in their lives are more likely to be generous, to be compassionate, to share what they have, to sacrifice on behalf of others. Now, if Zechariah had taken the survey in that first study I referenced, I suspect that he would have registered high on a lot of different emotions. I bet he would have registered high on emotions like fear and doubt and skepticism, but probably not so much in the awe department. Right, what does it say? The, the angel comes to Zechariah and his first reaction is to be overwhelmed with fear. And then the angel tells Zechariah what is going to happen to him and his first words in this whole story are a question of skepticism. How can this be so? And listen, it's understandable. It's understandable for Zechariah to register the angel's proclamation the way he does. Because remember him and Elizabeth, they are advanced in age. Right here is a couple who no doubt wanted children. Who tried and experienced year after year of hope and heartbreak. Right, Elizabeth says herself that it was a disgrace that had been laid upon them to be this old couple with no children to show. And yet I suspect that at some point for Zechariah and Elizabeth, at some level, they arrived at a place of peace with it all. And then here comes this angel making this proclamation that must have felt to him to be like a cruel joke at first. This angel who comes along and seems to want to pick at the scab of that old wound. And he's skeptical. How can it be? 
Don't you know our story? And what happens to him? He's struck mute. And he's left to just silently soak in everything that comes next. Gosh, I mean, what must those next nine months have been like for Zechariah? Unable to speak a single word, just left to take it all in. Hold on to that for a moment. I I have this friend uh, who marvels at everything. Speaking of marveling, have you all ever heard that back in like 17th and 16th century England, there was this whole thing where people in the city would sometimes go out on Sunday afternoons with their little umbrellas and their picnics, and they would just roam through the countryside just taking all the beauty in. You know what they called it? They called it marveling. Honey, you want to go marveling with me this afternoon? I'd love to. (laughs) So I have this friend who just marvels at everything. It's an amazing thing. It can be weeks or months since we last talked, and completely out of the blue, I'll get this text message with a picture of, like, footprints in the snow. Or on a day like today, uh, raindrops on the windshield at dawn. Just sort of mesmerized her. Other times I'll get pictures of the way the light is slanting in through the stained glass windows in the sanctuary. She was just in there marveling this morning and wanted to share it. She and her husband have this wonderful uh, mountain house and it's got this great front porch on it. And there's this table on their front porch that is just a collection of objects that they have been marveling over. Right There's this perfectly smooth stone that they found in the creek. There's this strange shaped leaf, never seen one quite like this, that fell out of the tree last fall. Here's a stick we found on our hike, just going to put it here. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) They marvel at everything. I think Zechariah, I think he spent those nine months marveling. Just silently taking it all in. Coming back each day with a a new memory, a new object to place there on his table. What do you think might have been on his table? I think Zechariah probably placed there the memory of Elizabeth's face in those first few weeks after this whole visit in the sanctuary. That face that at first registered concern and then sort of yielded after a few days to curiosity And then eventually landed on something like contentment. Not contentment because he couldn't talk to her anymore, but (laughs) contentment at the life, the life now within. I think Zechariah probably brought that memory of the first time he felt John kick in her belly and placed it there on the table. I bet Zechariah brought home that memory of the next time he was on sanctuary duty and and was selected by lot to go back into the sanctuary. And it was the first time in his life doing this task that he had done so many times before where he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was not alone. That the silence of that space was in fact filled with the holiness of God. Right, I bet Zechariah came home week after week over the course of those nine months and gradually filled that table with memories that marked the fact that he now understood that God's glory, it could not be contained to a single space, 
Know that God's hand was and truly is in everything and everyone. Now, how can we say that with certainty? How can we know that Zechariah spent those nine months doing that? Is it just our imagination being born on this story? I don't think so, because what we see across the arc of these verses is a man whose life is changed. Right? He begins with that fear. And then eventually he moves to something like faithfulness. And what I mean by that is that he's suddenly free. Right? There's that great moment in that second half of the story where it comes time to name John. And everyone in that room, they expect him to name John Zechariah Jr. Because that's the custom. That's his right. But what does he do? He relinquishes control. His name is John. Fear to faithfulness. And finally, we see Zechariah over the course of this story suddenly become free. His tongue is loosed. And his very first words are words of praise to God. He experiences awe. And just like all those participants in that study, that awe, it changes him. And friends, I think the first witness to the miracle in this Advent season is the witness who invites us to turn it off, to get quiet every once in a while to go marveling. Because what the world needs, (laughs) what the world needs are more tables that are full of our objects of awe and wonder. Right, what the world needs are more people, people who are capable of seeing the story of the incarnation through the eyes of Zechariah, who are able to see the world and the reality of God's love made incarnate. God's love come to bear with everything and with everyone. God's love come to be born upon this old priest and his barren wife. God's love come to be born upon this young woman named Mary and her yet-to-be husband. God's love come to be born upon you, And upon me. What the world needs are more lives with tables full of objects like that. This last Tuesday, I know at least one or two people were there. I uh, found myself sitting in the, the back row of the choir loft at Silver Hill United Methodist Church over on John B. White. I was there with probably like 20 plus other faith leaders from across Spartanburg participating in the community interfaith Thanksgiving worship service. It was my first time ever getting to do this. My part was at the very end of this service, which meant that I got to sit up there. All the faith leaders were up there in the choir loft to make room down in the pews. And I I got to sit there in the back row for like an hour and a half 
and just quietly, silently soak it all in. It was an amazing experience, right? Right there in front of me to the left were the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic priests gently ribbing each other throughout the service every once in a while, right? Something that, what, maybe just even 100 years ago probably would have been unthinkable. There on the front row of the choir loft was the, um, uh, let's see, the Hindu and the mom and the rabbi all sitting crammed in shoulder to shoulder. And every single person who stood up and spoke at that service spoke words of peace and of unity and of strength, not in spite of our differences, but because of our differences. And you know what I felt? I found myself feeling sitting back there in my little crammed up chair in the choir loft. I found myself feeling or experiencing, maybe is the better way of putting it, experiencing awe. Pure wonder at being part of a service like this. Because just like Zechariah, I think it's fair to say probably every person who gathered in the sanctuary that night came in with a little bit of fear. Fear not just about the state of the world, but fear after another week like last week that carried with it news of nightclubs and Colorado Springs and Walmarts and Chesapeake. And all those other more individualized stories of grief and heartache and hurt. Right? Every person in the space that night, they brought those things with them into that sanctuary. But you know what? God used that service. God used that service to take us out marveling. Right? To give us a glimpse of what the landscape of God's peaceable kingdom will one day look like. I once heard someone describe Advent as being the season when all of us church people, we come to church and we stand on our tippy toes and we look over the head of Christmas to that time that is yet to come, that time when Christ will come again to make real and finally and fully God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, right? God used that time to give us all a glimpse of what that kingdom will one day resemble. God filled us with awe and God changed us. I think all of us who were there that night, we all went home a little different than how we had first come in. I think we all went home a little bit more willing to share, a little bit more willing to sacrifice something that we want for ourselves if it means the betterment of someone else, right? If someone had been handing out lotto tickets at the door on Tuesday night, I'm willing to bet every person who had been in that service would have been ready and even eager to share it with someone else who did not have one. We all went home changed. We all went home with this new memory, this new place of hope, 
this new object of wonder that we were ready to place on the table, the table that is there on the front porch of each and every one of our hearts. Friends, that's what Zechariah invites us to here on the first step of this Advent journey, to get quiet, to turn it off, to go marveling, and to come home changed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,